This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 144, bringing authenticity into the workplace. My first career was as an electrical engineer, but I found after getting a job in Silicon Valley that I really was more passionate about the people than the electronics. And so that's what made me want to go into more of a leadership role or a consulting role. And over several years, it, it took a little while to do that because when people see that you're an engineer, they keep wanting you to do engineering for them. Hey, H2ICers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, hey, this is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other people's stories. Now, we get to bring on all kinds of experts like Michelle McQuaid, who helps people discover their strengths and learn what it takes to thrive with confidence through positive psychology, or people that have pretty amazing stories like Paul Hangoni, who dug really deep into his career struggles to become a successful author, and now he gets to empower college students and 20-somethings and 30-somethings and a bunch of other people to find their signature sauce. These are people that are just like you, people that have gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And they're people that are just like our next guest, Joni Connell. And you're going to find out how when you pay attention to certain aha moments, you're going to really be able to enjoy what it is that you're doing and get the keys to that. And we'll tell you how. And then I also, in my discussion with, with Joni, I I think you're going to absolutely love this because as you, (laughs) as you change careers and as you, you know, go from, (laughs) as you go from job to job or a place to place or whatever it is, it often feels like the skills that you've gained sometimes don't count for the next thing. Now, Joni's going to talk to you about how those can actually carry through and add even more value with a diverse skill set and then how everything isn't isn't actually lost. We also get deep into how you can have resilience. In fact, I, I ask her, I don't let her out easy on this one. So <laughs> if, if we know that having resilience is, is one of the keys to stay strong through, through your failures, and that those th- can lead to something better. Well, how do we actually do that? We talk about that and a whole bunch more. But let me tell you a little bit about Joni. Joni's a Harvard educated engineer who also holds a PhD from the University of California, Berkeley. And she's been working as a leadership coach and organizational consultant. She gets to consult with a whole bunch of different organizations, a variety of areas, including executive leadership development, diversity, generations, flexible work arrangements, on and on and on, work-life balance, life transitions, and those are some of the ones that uh, that we get to talk about today. Her clients are from Fortune 500 companies, uh, even Fortune 100 companies, not-for-profit, government agencies, biotech, healthcare, finance, you name it. She is absolutely fantastic. 
She's also the author of the book, Flying Without a Helicopter, How to Prepare Young People for Work and Life. Take a listen to my conversation with Joni Connell. Hey, I am so very excited to welcome our next guest on to Happen to Your Career. And in this case, it just a little bit behind the scenes for you. This happens to be what we're going to call the reunion tour because <laughs> we had a phenomenal conversation. And I remember leaving it thinking, oh my goodness, that was a really, really, really great episode. And then somehow the files got corrupted or disappeared or something we don't even know. But I am so excited to... I guess welcome back to the show unofficially, uh, Joni. I thank you for being here a second time too. Oh, thanks! It's a pleasure talking to you, Scott. So this is this is fun for me too. Well, I, uh, I we I will we'll call it a warm up, but I got to learn so much about you last time around and some of the things that uh, that you do. But for everybody else that's that's tuning in today, that's listening today, all the HTYCers out there. How would you describe what it is that you do nowadays? Oh, that's an interesting question. I do a little, so many things that sometimes it's hard to describe. But my company is called Flexible Work Solutions. And essentially, we consult with organizations to help uh, produce better leaders and people get people doing more flexible work in terms of balance and uh, virtual work. And we also work with individual people to help them be better leaders and figure out what they want to do in their careers. And in addition to that, personally, I've written a book and I do a lot of talks on the book. And so it's a little of everything these days. It's a variety of stuff. That is that is fantastic. And uh, that is that doesn't fit on a job description <laughs> at all. I remember filling out, um, geez, what was it? Some kind of application recently for something. I think it's for one of our kids. And and they had this little tiny area for job description. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't even know. And I can't imagine for, you're like, author, a company, like you get 15 things on there. So I I don't know if we're going to get to all 15 of those things. But, <laughs> but I really wanted to dive into how some of this happened, first of all. Like, how, how did this happen, Joni? How could this have happened? How could this have happened? <laughs> where, where, where did some of these things start for you? Well, you know, it all started back when I was in college and I became an electrical engineer. And you're going to be like, wait, wait a minute. We didn't talk about Whoa, that. Whoa, now. No. <laughs> yes, I, I, my first career was as an electrical engineer. And I did that to have a solid income and because I was good at computers and math and all that. And I like solving problems and fixing things. Um, but I found after getting a job in Silicon Valley that I really was more passionate about the people than the electronics. And I was fascinated with how engineers interact with each other in the workplace and a lot of the challenges that come up because as one of them, I knew that we're not taught how to communicate and how to interact and how to lead. We're taught how to build things and uh, debug computer problems. And so when it came to the people aspect of it, there were a lot of challenges there. And so that's what made me want to go into more of a leadership role or a consulting role. And over uh, several years, it, it took a little while to do that because when people see that you're an engineer, they keep wanting you to do engineering for them. Yes, they do. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I would get jobs. I worked in marketing and I did some consulting and, and it just was so technical. I ended up deciding I needed to go to graduate school to really shift careers. And that's when I went back to graduate school in psychology. And so my career takes off as we know it now in terms of having a PhD in organizational psychology, social psychology, and working with companies to help develop their leaders and, and to assess them to see if they're um, able to do their jobs and help people develop their communication skills and personal skills and all that. So, so that's kind of how it started. That is that is a great start. And, I, and I'm super curious, do you remember any of those points in time where you had that realization or began to realize that, hey, you know what, uh, engineering, great, but I really like the people in the relationships and that sort of side of the deal. What Was there any anything that sticks out in your mind where you began to realize that? Well, you know, I knew that in college. I went... I went to Harvard for engineering, which is an, yeah. another thing that people often say, what? What, they even have engineering? And I mean, back then, I mean, now pretty much everywhere has engineering. But back then, it was like, why didn't you go to MIT? You know, it's right down the street. And I knew that I didn't always want to be an engineer. I wanted to perhaps be in management or something that was more people-oriented. But at the time, I just didn't know how to make that happen. So I went straight for the engineering. And once I was there, it just became increasingly clear and I'll tell you, one of the things that happened was, you know, we back then we shared offices. We had two people per office. This was before yeah. the cubicle craze, right? We actually had offices. And so I had an office mate, and he would email me. And I thought that was really strange. Why didn't he just turn <laughs> around and say, hey, Joni? <laughs> you know, and I thought, well, this is really strange. How come we're emailing versus just talking to each other? And, you know, we all have offices on the same hallway. Why don't you just get up and talk to each other? And so I was really curious about how people interact with each other differently over these different media and, and how um, we we interact differently in those ways, too. What you can say to somebody on email versus face-to-face. -face. That's, that's um, I can tell you a second instance. I yeah. am. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm always curious how some of these things happen in the transgression that happens. So please, yeah. that would be fantastic. Okay. A second one was we used to have staff meetings. Now, not every week, every month. Okay. This was back then. Every month we would have a team meeting and we'd get the whole group in together and we'd go into a conference room. And it was just so obviously painful for everyone to be there. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be at the staff meeting, including the manager. And he would sit at the head of the table and just have us each uh, all go around the room and say what we had been doing lately. And that was the extent of the meeting. And it was when it was over, it was like school was out. The people blasted through the doors to get out of the room and go back to their offices. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting how everyone hates being here. And I liked that part. I'm like, I like being in the meeting. And so it was another time, sort of an aha moment for me going, hmm. This is an interesting phenomenon to to look at and perhaps to improve upon. That's interesting. One of the one of the questions that we use regularly to help people kind of hone in on that type of stuff is, <laughs> what what do you find around you that uh, that you like doing, even though other people don't? Or <laughs> <laughs> and that's a total case of that. You're exactly. surrounded by all these engineers that are like, seriously, we are going to we're going to have twelve meetings a year like clockwork, <laughs> whether we want to or not. 
because we're supposed to. <laughs> and right. that's the part you enjoy. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so so then uh then I'm curious after after all that you uh, you start to have some of these realizations and then you know eventually you made a few different changes after going to, uh, well, you said the kind of the final catalyst was, look, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go back to school. And did that allow you to finally separate off? Yes. Yes, it did. Yet, you know, I also merged the two interests and I did my dissertation on how people interact differently over different communication media. So one of the people on my dissertation committee was from the computer science department. So mm. I don't know if I completely branched off, but I think increasingly <laughs> I have. And it's been so many years, I couldn't design something anymore <laughs> with any serious amount of engineering involved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then it's official. You've made, you've made the leap. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so with all that then, and you know, going from something that I think most people would consider very, very, maybe opposites, the wrong word, but definitely different and drastically different. You know, what, what were some of your, your biggest takeaways along the way? Because we've got a, we've got a whole entire listenership here. The vast majority of the people that are, that are listening to this are in doing one thing. In some cases it feels like, Hey, this is the polar opposite of probably what I should be doing. And the people, you know, what I really want to do is probably the stuff that uh, I'm surrounded by that are, is different than everybody else. Uh, wh- what, what did you learn out of that experience? Well, one of the things I learned is what I could carry with me from the engineering and some of the things that were advantages for having gone through that experience and having, um, having those skills as well. And what I bring to psychology and, and the consulting I do are two things. One is yeah. that I get technical people. So I tend to specialize in people who are in technical roles. Like if I am coaching somebody, they, I have a couple clients right now who are in biotech and they're very technical and I understand what they're going through and that they learned how to be technical scientists and they didn't learn these communications skills and perhaps they don't care about these communication skills and I try to help motivate them to understand how important they are, those kind of things. And so, you know, that's one area that that I really can relate to people. Another one is just the discipline and the methodical nature of things. And first of all, going through graduate school and doing research, and I still do some research, you need a lot of discipline and systems involved to do things correctly and make sure that they're scientifically valid and all of that. And that's something that I bring to the table with project management as well. When I get on projects and I work in teams with other consultants, um, they usually look to me to help come up with the systems and stay on task and all that. So that's something that that has helped me. And you would think, wow, how do you have the similarities here? But those are a couple of skills that I've brought with me. Let me cut back in here for a second. I want you to meet Tracy. I'm Tracy, and I'm from San Diego. I am a microbiology lab supervisor at a medical device and diagnostics company here in town. Before Tracy found our eight-day figure-it-out course, here's what life was like for her. I was drowning in debt and seriously struggling to find a way out of it. I've got student loans (laughs) from the late 90s that I'm trying to pay down, as well as a car loan. 
Okay, now you might be thinking, what does debt have to do with Tracy's career? And what does any of this have to do with this eight-day figure-it-out course? And this course really helped me to gain a lot of clarity around what was important to me and helped me to see possibilities beyond my current situation. So with that, I've actually started a small virtual assistant business on the side, and I have been able to seriously accelerate my debt repayment plan. I will be completely debt-free in just over two years from now. Wow. Congratulations, Tracy. We love hearing stories just like that one. Now, if you want that type of clarity that can help you move forward in your life, here's what you can do. Just text HTYC to 38470. HTYC to 38470. Or just visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. In terms of other advantages that have been just to get into the opposite is that, wow, as a psychologist, all of a sudden you can talk about your feelings and your experiences and it doesn't all have to relate to work. And people like that. Other people that I work with, you know, they're interested and want to connect and create that emotional connection too, whereas engineers tends to be more about the task and the project. So it's something that's helped me be more of who I am and not feeling like I have to put on a certain facade when I walk into work, but I can actually be me. And it's been so liberating. So that's really interesting. I'd love to ask you about that uh, because I've very much found the same thing. The word liberating is definitely one that comes to mind. Um, less stressful is another one. It's less stressful to be yourself, I found. (laughs) And there's probably a whole bunch of others too. But what, what do you think was the hardest thing about that for you? And even even aligning your work with who you are. Wow, being who I am. Well, I mean, I think some of it is the vulnerability because once you let yourself show, you're hoping that people will accept you for who you are. And that's something that I think has come with just trying it and being brave and also with age, <laughs> you yeah. care less about yes. <laughs> maturity. So, uh, absolutely. And realizing that people, people have given me feedback along the way too. And one of the pieces of feedback I've gotten that reinforces that is people really love my authenticity. They love that and they appreciate that. And once I've heard that, it's like, oh, okay, then I can bring more of me to the workplace and to my work uh, because that's actually valued rather than thinking, oh, I have to be this certain persona that I think I'm supposed to be, that people actually want me to be who I really am. Isn't that funny though? I I found that really uh, in an observational sort of way, very, very interesting and uh, and funny how we all kind of start where it seems like we care a whole bunch about what other people think. And then as you say, you get older, some of that wears off and everything like that. But being authentic really is something that people highly value. And yet so many of us are really afraid to, to do so. Uh, I don't know. I just, I find that, uh, that kind of fascinating how that works. And it's kind of ironic. Yeah. Well, when we're younger, we also think, I mean, at any age really, but most particularly when we're younger, we think, well, this is the way things are supposed to be. And you have this idea in your head rather than realizing that being true to yourself is really going to help you be the most successful person. Because when you're 
doing what you want to do, you're using your skills and you're being you, you can excel more than if you're trying to put on a show for others. Yeah. Huh. I wonder also if, I'm just thinking about this. I haven't, I haven't thought about this in this way for, well, I don't think I have at all necessarily, but I wonder if the fact that it is more rare because a lot of people are either challenged with it or afraid or something like that, then that, that is part of what makes it desirable to be mm, that, authentic. I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm just toying with this idea right now, but. Oh, this is great. Let's get into a philosophical discussion <laughs> about it. Well, you know, it does make it scary. But the other thing is, I mean, I say that we should be authentic, but again, we have to learn how to socialize and, and be around and know what's appropriate. You don't want to say everything on your mind. I mean, we've seen that movie Liar, Liar, whatever it is, you know, with Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah. You start saying it too authentic, you're really not going to get along with people. So you have to find the balance there. And I think part of what we're doing when we're younger is trying to figure out where those boundaries lie. And so we err on the side of caution. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's actually really interesting. So that, that selfishly, I'm thinking about my kids right now to some degree, because, uh, we're, we're trying to help them be able to express what, you know, what it is that, uh, that is on their mind or what they're feeling or anything like that. But, they seem to have a tendency, and I'm sure it's our, our own doing, they seem to have a tendency to default to kind of the minimum level of that type of acceptance. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking about this one and toying with it in my head a little bit. But yeah, it's, that's really interesting. And this is kind of right up your alley a little bit as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I tend to think that people should figure out in their careers what works for them and how to be authentic in their career to be the happiest. But in terms of sharing everything on your plate, that's one of the things I coach people on too is what you need to be able to keep inside and not express and, and find ways to constructively express it and, you know, things that could be negative um, or not jump to conclusions or jump down somebody's throat, but to really think how to be uh, diplomatic. And so, you know, it goes both ways, but you can still be authentic and express what's on your mind just in a way that is uh, approachable and acceptable for others to hear. So where, where do you think the line is or how do you define that line? Ooh, that's context dependent. I think part I of it is knowing your audience, right? That's that's the key to, to so much of this is knowing your audience. And, you know, if you're hanging out with a bunch of friends going to the movies, your audience can accept a lot of different things and you could probably share a lot more of who you are. But if you're dining with a president, you'd want to be a lot more formal and, and keep things to yourself and be more constructive. So it really depends. First of all is, is understanding the context and then who the other person is. If, if they're more receptive to hearing uh, feedback or not, you know, like in the workplace, that's a lot of what comes up is trying to work with others who you might have a disagreement with. How do you disagree with somebody? And trying to figure out a safe place to make that happen is really key. And first of all, checking in with the other person. And you know, one of the things that people don't do very often and they're afraid to do is just ask, you know, how do you like to talk about this? Or, you know, what kind of approach do you prefer? 
how would you feel comfortable going about having this discussion, you know, and rather than trying to guess all the time. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's something that's just knowing your audience and finding a way that you can both be comfortable talking to each other. Well, that's, that's interesting. And uh, I guess knowing your audience does bring up so many different variables because I mean, that's dependent upon the existing relationship you have. What type of relationship is it? Is it, you know, is it, what's the, the additional context there? And that's, that is a good way to give the answer <laughs> and delicately step around the question. I see what you did there, Joni. I know, exactly. There is no line. There isn't. There really isn't. There really it's isn't. a wiggly, wavy one. Yes. It's some kind of crazy line. Well, that's, um, that's phenomenal, truly. And I don't think we've really discussed that, uh, in depth on, on this show. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, also I am, I'm super curious too. One of the things that I really wanted to spend some time talking about, you have, you've done a whole bunch of work into, um, I don't even know what to call this, but helping companies and people be able to create flexible working environment solutions, uh, in some cases, even virtual work and, uh, and everything to and from that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious for you, one, how you got started in that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that actually started out of my engineering background and the whole looking at, um, how people, People interact differently in different modes of communication, and that led to this virtual work, which started out really as telecommuting. You know, people working from home and using technology to do that, and then we've gotten to have it where we have offices all over the world and satellite offices, and people are working virtually in a lot of different environments. And so it started out with that. Um, how do we let that happen? And then the other aspect of it is how does life interact with work? And how do we make the workplace a better place for individual people to enjoy their lives, have complete lives, and also be productive in the workplace? I mean, if they have an aging parent and they have to take the parent to doctor's appointments, how can they do that in a way that doesn't disrupt their work and still allows them to be a successful employee at the workplace and make it so the company still appreciates that person and is getting what they need from the person. So um, there are a lot of different ways that we can come at this, but it's making a win-win so, for the company and for the person. Then along the lines of, of making that win-win, at this point in time for, there's so many different types of organizations out there, but do you have any gauge for with current technology and current workforce needs, uh, whatever you'd like to call that, that's certainly what uh, different um, epi economics professionals will call it. But do you have any ideas to what what percentage of companies this could be a win-win for with different types of flexible work solutions, or even even something that is you know telecommuting or virtual type work? Well, I, I have to give you, again, another wavy answer here, and that is... I like your wavy answers. <laughs> the wavy answer is one of the things that contributes to successful solutions for, for flexible work is it depends on the type of job, it de depends on the type of culture at the company, and it depends on the individual person. 
So you want to find a company that has a culture that can support that. You know, some companies have a culture where they want everyone to be there face to face. It's very hierarchical and they want to be able to see what everyone's doing. Or, you know, there's just a culture of everybody working together. It's just not going to work if people are, are outside of the office. Um, sometimes uh, types of jobs, you know, if you're a barista at a coffee shop, you can't do that virtually, right? Because you have to make coffee for people who show up that day. Virtual right? barista. So, <laughs> I know. It's coming We're soon. All, I know. We want that. That's exactly what we want. We can have our coffee on our Skype calls. But um, no, so there are certain limitations to type of job. The, the person who has to actually handle things manually uh, or be present to greet people or, you know, various things like that. There are certain types of jobs which just cannot be done virtually. And then the person as well. You need somebody who's mature enough and dependable and trustworthy and who has experience so that they can work more independently uh, and without as much supervision. Um, and perhaps the personality is also a factor there where if you are working from home, for example, that A, you're not going to be so distracted by the things around you, or B, you're not going to be so lonely that you're miserable. So there's a lot of different components to this, what makes it successful for both the person and the company. So you're asking, you know, which companies can do this. We're finding that there's a lot that can be done more creatively than you would expect, you know, if you just put your mind to it. And it's actually better for the company often to offer these solutions. And so when you get into flexibility as well, it's not necessarily working from home. It could be working different shifts. You could work four days a week instead of five that are longer hours or having every other Friday off or coming in at 10 and working late if you have things in the morning that you have to get done. There are a lot of different ways you can do flexibility and it's not just working from home or, or working virtually. So then here's a question for you. And, and part of the reason I, why I'm going down this train uh, is because we we get questions constantly about this exact set of topics. So I know that uh, that we've got a lot of HTYCers that are interested in this. And in some cases, it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm getting the question from uh, from people that this isn't the norm in their company. Mm -hmm. How would you suggest that they approach that if maybe it isn't the norm or isn't the culture right now? I know that it's possible because I've been that first employee in several different scenarios to be able to work virtually or have flexible work schedule or whatever else. But how would you suggest that they approach that type of scenario if this is something that they think could benefit both them and the company? I love that you added that last bit there. It could benefit both because the way to approach it is not to talk about yourself and how you need this. The way to approach it is talk about the benefits it would provide to the company and how it would help them, right? So it is a win-win. So that if you can be more productive or come up with a way that uh, would, would benefit them um, so that you're around more or that you can you know, a lot of managers would say, look, if I can work Fridays at home, I can actually take care of all those things that I need to get done. When I'm in the office, people keep busting in and interrupting me and I can't get this stuff done. So I could actually, you know, turn in my reports on time, things like that. Uh, so if you find out a benefit for the, for the company, it's a good sell. 
You mean that my boss is not going to be excited if I tell them that, you know, I just am having trouble finding a babysitter, so I'm going to need to take the, <laughs> you know, every every other Tuesday and uh, the next uh, next 700 uh, you know, Wednesdays, uh, going to do my work at home. You mean that's not that's that's not going to do it for them? Right. The sob story is not the way to go. And sometimes people just don't even think of that because all they're thinking about is what their needs are. But if you can spin this in a way that's actually going to be good, and it might be part of it, like, look, I don't have the childcare and I need to be at work. You know, I could make this be better for everybody if I could do this at, at home. That way, you know, I'll be more reliable worker. I'll know I'll get everything done. I won't have to call in sick. Um, when the babysitter doesn't show up or those kind of things. But going on and on about your needs isn't really the way to convince your boss. <laughs> this is probably one of those scenarios where it helps in knowing your audience too. If you know, if you know, you know your boss, you're probably going to be able to even more tailor it to, to their needs and to the company's needs. So right. then um, along those same lines, what, what, are some of the what are some of the things that uh, you could you mentioned getting really creative uh, before well, what are some of the ways that you could get really really creative around these types of things well some of the things that people do is job sharing for example you know partitioning off different types of work with different people and you could have somebody's covering Monday and Tuesdays and you cover Wednesdays and Thursdays so that there's always somebody on hand if you need it. Um, part of it is being creative for yourself too, is realizing that maybe the flexibility that you need isn't what you think you need. So I've had, for example, moms or dads who say, look, they want to be there for their kids. And they, so they want to work till two every day or something like that. Yeah. And sometimes it actually works better if they work a full day, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and have some time off the other days. And they can arrange their schedules so that they're around and, and then, so that it's not like every day has to be leaving it too, that they can actually find flexibility in different ways to make that happen. And that works for the, the boss as well and they can stay focused for a full day and the kids are fine, you know, two days a week, either going to an activity or having a childcare or something like that. And it might be easier to find somebody to take care of your kids two full days instead of half days anyway. So something like that. So we find that the creativity comes both within the company and within yourself to find out really what can, where can you flex and where can the company flex to make this the best solution well, that's a really good point too, because ultimately, I mean, it, it really does work both ways. If if you can create a better situation for yourself, you can probably serve the company better in that regard too. So if it, like your example of, hey, you know, maybe maybe it isn't best if you take off, you know, at two p.m. every every single day, and maybe it actually does work better uh, where you can put a different level of focus or whatever it might be, different level of energy into. Um, you know, taking taking two days you spend at home and two other longer days that you've got set up where you can just entirely focus on the company. But being able to have that foresight in advance, I've got to imagine, is going to be be helpful and appreciated. Yeah, and another idea there too is to give it a trial, see what works and what what you need to tweak 
once you start the new arrangement, both from the boss's perspective and your own, and then being willing to be flexible once you've got it started so that you can make it the best it can be. Sometimes you get to this arrangement, you realize, wow, that's not what I wanted <laughs> at all, or this isn't working because I can't make this meeting every day or whatever it is, you know, so having some time to uh, expect to there to be some challenges along the way and uh, some hiccups and working through and having the patience, both from yourself and your boss to get it right. Well, that's a great point too. I think uh, if I go back and I think about either the situation where my team members, uh, you know, the people that reported to me, uh, were in flexible arrangements. And then also when I went and asked, maybe the first uh, first time or a couple of times, whatever it was, uh, at different, different companies, uh, I think I set it up initially so that it's like, hey, let's try this for one month and then let's meet back together. Make sure that it's working really, really well and then tweak as we need to tweak or go back. If it doesn't work at all, let's go back to normal. Uh, and then I think... Yeah. If I recall correctly, for some of the people on my team, we, we did that same thing. And one of the things that we found was uh, for one person in, in particular, it just really flat out, it, it didn't work. It, for the same reason that you just mentioned, she had a whole bunch of, um, not necessarily meetings, but needs from the team on a particular day. And we just didn't even know that until we took it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we, we went back and we didn't, we didn't like kibosh it, but just being uh, just setting it up in a way where we knew we were going to revisit and and see what worked and see what didn't work and adjust it. Yeah, that's just a great way of proceeding in any adventure. <laughs> Absolutely. But for this flexibility, that's the way to go. And it's really, really uh, important to set that up ahead of time, the check-in later to see what you can improve upon. Tell me about... Um, your, I'm curious, like how you get from, okay, so I, I want to dive back into your story for a second, just because one of the things that I am not confused on, but curious about is how you got into, <laughs> I mean, you started engineering, you uh, make all these moves. I understand how a lot of this stuff relates together. And then your book Flying Without a Helicopter, How to Prepare Young People for Work and Life. How on earth did that happen? And tell people a little <laughs> bit about the book, too, and what it's about. Because I know, but they don't. Okay, Scott. So the book is about the phenomenon of helicopter parenting and how that impacts people when they start to grow up and go into the workplace. And some people say, well, what's helicopter parenting? That is when parents are hovering over their children in the extreme case, right, just like little helicopters, and doing things for them, protecting them, and uh, making sure that you set up the path for them so that they don't run into any problems along the way. Now, that's an extreme description here, but the point is, when that's done, of course, there's some positives to that, right? You need to protect your kids so they don't get run over by car or have anything bad happen to them. But uh, at the same time, when you do a lot of that, then they grow up and go to the workplace and they're missing some of these skills. They're not as independent. They're not resilient because they haven't made mistakes and had to recover from them. They don't develop the communication skills that they need. They haven't talked to their teachers because the parents have done it for them. And they haven't 
haven't learned to have creative solutions because things have been pretty mapped out for them and life has been very structured. So the reason this book came about is because in my consulting work, I work with a lot of very successful people. I work with leaders and help them improve their skills. And one of the things that come up when I was talking to them so often is they were challenged with a newer generation of people coming into the workplace. They're saying, you know, I'm running into problems with the lack of communication skills, the lack of independence, uh, the lack of resilience. You know, I give feedback to my employees and they burst into tears. They quit. Uh, you know, things happen. And, and they're really challenged by this. So I was getting so much feedback on that. At the same time, I have a daughter uh, myself who's now 14, but, you know, a while back when this was coming into play, she was a lot younger. Yeah. And I noticed this helicopter phenomenon. I, I noticed the parents around me. I noticed at the schools how things had shifted, and, and I could see what was going on, what was contributing to this lack of life skills in the workplace. And so I put the two together and wrote the book that really focuses on uh, these issues to parents, uh, to managers who are dealing with people coming in uh, to the workplace, lacking some of these skills, and also to the younger people who are growing up and saying, wow, what's going on here? How come I feel so challenged by this when I feel like I should be able to handle, handle work and understanding how this all came about? So that's, that's how I started it, is being at work running into these challenges and having so many people question and complain about about it and realizing the book needed to be written to help <laughs> people figure this out. Yeah. Those those are the that's always the best way. When it's it's there, it's a it's a challenge and it it needs to happen. It needs to be written. So what what mm -hmm. has been your response to the book then or not your response but other response to <laughs> to the book since you've been I mean you're in these workplaces anyways. Now you have a, a even a different resource for people than than what you had before. I'm curious what the response has been. The response has been remarkably positive. You know, from all those different levels. At first, I thought I might be, you know, challenging some of the younger people, but they've been really receptive to it too, saying, oh, now I understand. This helps. Thank you for helping me understand what's going on. Because I tell you, one of the things that's going on at work is this generational clash. I and mean, we've seen this in the newspaper and we've, we've seen this yeah. firsthand, you know, that, that there's a difference in expectations and people just don't understand why people are coming at it with different perspectives and different experiences. And so the book helps people from both sides understand both where the parents are coming from and why they wanted to help the kids um, you know, be protected and, and take care of them and, and also um, what the managers are expecting at the workplace. That's what the book starts out with. You know, what, what are the expectations in the workplace and how do you be, become successful in terms of the life skills, not in terms of, you know, a particular path or technical skill that you might have. Yeah, so it, it helps. It also helps the the younger folks learn those skills and, and there are exercises in the back of the book that can help people check in and develop those skills both for parents and and for people who are younger who are either teens or you know in their 20s in the workplace okay so let me ask you another question and you can't give me a squiggly line answer on this one. okay <laughs> <laughs> so 
if if I'm thinking about it from parents' perspective, and I've got I've got three little kids, and this is something that uh, Alyssa, my wife, and I talk about quite a bit, is how to get them, you know, those quote unquote life skills that you're talking about, because uh, we find that our tendency. Uh, when we're observing it is probably to, to stray more towards the helicopter parent type side. We try not to. Um, and we realize that we're doing it in some cases and some cases we take precautions, but what are one or two things that I can do to build resiliency or to, um, ensure that I don't destroy resiliency, <laughs> maybe another way to, to look at it or to build in some of those other life skills, um, that we're talking about, like, you know, critical thinking and being able to accept feedback and communications and things like that. What are one or two things that I can, I can do? Well, I think the first thing is being self-aware, which you seem to be already. So asking yourself, okay, is this something that I really need to do for them or is this something they can do by themselves or for themselves? And looking at what are the potential consequences. You know, I gave the example of getting run over by, by a car. You're not gonna let your you know, 18 month old just run free out in the street because they don't have the skills yet to know not to do that. But you know, your six year old should no, not to run into the street. And those are the kind of things you could prepare them for and, and figure out, well, I can let this person walk without holding my hand across the street, but not this one because they're too young. So first is just sort of assessing it and figure out maybe what they can do. And, and if, they, if you don't feel that they can, perhaps that might be an opportunity to teach them or to help them learn. So a way to look at it in terms of helping the kids build independence and resiliency is sort of being the coach rather than, you know, doing it for them. If you're coaching somebody and you're giving them guidance, maybe mentoring them, you're perhaps standing out of their way, not in front of them doing things for them, but you're letting them try things and giving them advice and letting them bounce ideas off you. You're asking them the questions that they need to think about to make these kinds of decisions and letting them make some of these mistakes. Again, you some of the mistakes, you know, when you get a bit older, right? You're thinking about, are they gonna completely blow their chances of getting into college by you know, cheating on a test, maybe that's the kind of thing you want to prevent, right? But if they're going to go try out for the baseball team and, yeah, they don't know if they're going to make it, um, let them try. And if they don't make it, help them through that process of not making it on the team and, and learning how to be stronger as a result of that. So you can be there for them. You can help them from the sidelines lines, but not go in and tell the coach they need to find a place for your kid on the team so that they feel good about themselves, that kind of thing. Mm, I really like that. And I really like the be the coach type approach. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, when you get in the workplace, I have one person that was a great example. They were a server for in the food industry and they got fired from their job. And this, this one was really devastated, like really, really upset. Like she didn't know why she got fired. So she went and she was really strong though. She went and found another job right away. And she ended up getting recruited by another very high end restaurant that 
was just opening up. And so she went and took that job and is now like one of the founding members of this new high-end restaurant and is having the time of her life. It's her dream job. And if she hadn't been fired from her job, she wouldn't have gotten to this point. And it's really one of those things you talk about the silver lining, the blessings in disguise kind of thing, where sometimes you think it's the end of the world and something bad happens, but you're stronger as a result of it. And then you set yourself up for something even better after that. And she's just one of the case examples I have just recently, who is just shining now in her new position. And because um, she stayed strong after that bad situation that happened to her. I love that. I love that example because, I mean, that's that's truly, I think, advice that we can take at any point in life, whether we are, you know, three or whether we are, I don't know, 33. But it, I guess the way that I'm thinking about it after hearing you say that is if we take like the baseball team example, if we were mm -hmm. to deny, uh, you know, our kids the, or got denied as kid, the opportunity to have that uh, have that failure or have that thing not work out and not be exposed to that then we may not realize that that could lead to something else good or that could um actually be right. something that is really good later on down the road and that's almost a skill in itself being able to uh, i don't know do we call that the <laughs> take lemons and make lemonade type skill or yeah. i don't know whatever you want to call that but but well, yeah that's yeah, interesting yeah. The, every single leader I talk to and ones that have been very famous leaders, they all talk about the failures they've had along the way. I mean, not one leader will tell you they've gotten through without failing at something no along the way. Right. So they've had to get through that and they've learned from that. That's how you learn so often. And you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding. Right. So ha having those opportunities when you're young. It helps you learn what to do, what not to do, where your strengths are, where some of your areas are that you're probably not as good at. You know, if you don't make the baseball team, maybe you're better at soccer. You know, it, it could be something that you just a way of discovering who you are as a part of that. I love that. And on that note, I think that is that is a perfect place to uh to leave it because that's that's really at the end of the day what what our show is about it's it's about that discovery type process and really connecting your your work with who you are and that's kind of where we started this conversation and, and mm -hmm. a great place to end it hey i so so appreciate you coming back on the reunion tour that we didn't know was a reunion tour <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I, I appreciate you making the time for us, uh, not once, but twice. And I, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've had a lot of fun. I know people are going to get a ton out of this. So thanks for taking the time and making the time. And I am curious if, if people want to, uh, get more of you or if they want to learn more about what it is that you do, where, where can they connect up with you? How, how can they go about that? Well, the best place is my website, flexibleworksolutions.com. I've got my bio up there and contact information. Also, flyingwithout.com is where the book is. And there's a free chapter of the book on that, too. That's flyingwithout.com. Oh, perfect. Go, uh, go check that out. 
And I think that you'll enjoy that quite a bit, especially if you enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so very much, Joni. I, I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Hey, I hope you love that. Are you ready already to be authentic in your career? It, life changes when, when you are. Now, the funny thing about that, in order to be authentic in your career, you have to be able to get clear and confident on who you really are. Now, that sounds like it should be easy, but we all know it's not. We all know it's not. So one thing that we do to help you with that and help you be clear about who you are so that you can just, you know, start living who you are is our free eight-day course. We've got an eight-day mini course to help you figure out what you really want for your career. Here's the way to be able to enroll. All you have to do is pause this and text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44222, and we will get you signed up right away. Or you can go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. We'll see you over there. Hey, uh, I really appreciate you being here, and we've got even more for you next week on the Happen to Your Career podcast. I want you to go ahead and take a listen to what we've got in store for you. And she said, oh no, I have impending doom. It's like finding out your favorite Game of Thrones character gets killed off. So now in one email chain, I was I was compared to Justin Timberlake and her favorite Game of Thrones character. Not just a Game of Thrones character, her favorite one. So that's really interesting to me that like how quickly things can change. I know you and I have had that conversation like five or six times over the years, Mark. It's, it's pretty amazing. Like when you are taking one step after another, like just how quickly things can change. All that and plenty more next week on the Happen to Your Career podcast. Join us as we celebrate three years at Happen to Your Career. Oh my goodness, how did that even happen? Yeah, three years. Woohoo! And I really appreciate you hanging out with us for three years, especially those folks that have been there from the very beginning. But if you've if you have been here more recently, well, then what that means is you've got a whole back catalog of really, really amazing stuff that uh, that you get to you get to dive into and it's there just available you don't even have to wait for it to come out it's like uh, you know you don't even have to wait for the next season or anything like that it is already here go back there are there are some really amazing ones whether you are trying to start a business whether you're trying to figure out what it is that you want to do in the first place or whether you're trying to make a career change to something that you absolutely love there are episodes for just about everything even getting into designing your life and architecture for your life, and plenty more. Hey, I really, really appreciate you being here. And you know what? Our podcast is growing immensely because people that are just like you have been taking the time to leave us leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. And that means the world to us. We, we love all the really nice things that, uh, that you've been saying, but also even more so than that, it allows us to help other people. So if you've enjoyed any of these last 150 Geez, 150, almost 150 episodes. That's nuts in the last three years. Uh, I would really appreciate it if you go over to iTunes or Stitcher and give us a rating or review. That way we can reach even more people and help get get y'all to work that you love. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. I'm out. Adios. Mm-hmm.